Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. Have you ever felt a knife cut through human flesh and scrape the bone beneath? You're gonna need a bigger boat. Be my victim. Hello, my name is Austin Torres, and welcome to the Woody Die Podcast, the show where we talk about our favorite horror monsters and villains. Today, I'm joined by an amazing fantasy and horror artist. I met him at Horror Hound, where I bought a few of his pieces because his style is absolutely stunning, and I just fell in love with these pieces. (laughs) Please welcome my friend, Byron Winton. Hi, Austin. How are you? I am great. Today, we're talking about demons to some, angels to others. They have such sights to show us, but if they're wrong, they will definitely tear our souls apart. Of course, I'm talking about Pinhead and the Cenobites. Yes. (laughs) And that's why I'm great, because I've been wanting to talk about Hellraiser for such a long time, and I'm just so excited that, because you gave me a list of like really great horror villains that we could talk about, and I was like, this one this one right here. <laughs> right, right. I had to come up with something that was uh, worthy of conversation. And uh, Pinhead has been my little demon for many years. So it was, uh, yeah, he's always been uh, an inspiration, a creative icon in a sense. And I enjoyed a few of his movies during the, those years. I'm a more recent Hellraiser fan because I didn't see any Hellraisers until I was in college and it took me even longer to see Hellraiser 2 and then the new Hellraisers coming come out so I'm still a blossoming Hellraiser fan Mm -hmm. but before we dive deeper into the Cenobites dive deeper into hell I should say (laughs) I was wondering what got you into the horror genre what made you a fan well as an artist I was always making and drawing scary things you know I I saw Night of Living Dead on Halloween many years because they would always show it Halloween night on uh, TV stations. I I saw the Dawn of the Dead when I was eight years old. That traumatized me. Um, that's not a film you want to see in 1978, 79 when I saw it. So I was, you know, I was really young. That puts me as an old man if you're doing the math here. <laughs> um, so at the time there was nothing like that of its kind, and it was uh, it was startling. So I don't know if that was the ember that kind of like sparked the flame of my horror interests, or or it could have been the uh, Cold War and the th- fear of nuclear annihilation, or. <laughs> <laughs> there was there was quite a few uh, things in the 80s, early 80s, that just the world was very bleak. And I, I don't know, I, I guess a way for me to cope with that was I just drew scary things. You know, I was given a lot of, you know, alone time, I guess, to do my own thing. I would just draw. I was very determined, dedicated to draw whatever I wanted to draw. Years later, I now get to draw it professionally and get paid to do it, which is the the dream, living the dream. That's, yeah, <laughs> as somebody some people like to say. I think that I think that's amazing though, because it's so hard to it's so hard to be in the arts, let alone make a living off of it. Absolutely, yeah. There's a lot of yeah. it, it's a small business minded. Um, you got to spin a lot of plates, um, do a lot of tasks constantly. 
you know, assessing your business situation. You know, that's kind of the sucky part of the whole job is you're always determining projects based on if it's going to pay enough. And yeah, oftentimes there are passion projects I want to do, but they're not, you know, there's no money behind it. And I, I got to put food on the table and gas in the car type of scenario. And I'm getting to that point where I can just do whatever I want and get paid for it. But it, it's, it's still work. You know, conventions has been really good to me. Patreon has been really good to me. Um, I have a pretty good fan base that supports and encourages me to keep doing it. I like to think I I'm part of the convention that helped because um, <laughs> I did I did pick up a few pieces. But like I said in the intro, I I love conventions, but I I'm bad with my wallet. So yeah, I, horror conventions are <laughs> amazing. I I've been doing conventions since '94, like attending and then. Mm -hmm. A couple of years after that, being on the other side of the table selling. But I I started off doing one show a year. Um, I was published in a horror anthology, my first published piece back in 95, I think. And and then over the years, I just started, like you know, showing my work, my artwork in the hopes to get more published projects, um, people buying prints of my stuff. And then that, you know, that snowball just gets bigger and bigger as you as I continued doing conventions. So, you know, I went from one to two a year to now, like this year, I'm 21 shows this year. So horror conventions are amazing. They're so different than say a comic book convention or a pop con mm -hmm. show. Pop con shows are very wide in their genres. It encompasses yeah. just about everything. And horror conventions, wow, it's just very, obviously it's just horror in, in general. And, you know, the one thing I always hear from people, it's like, wow, I'm really surprised that, you know, the, the people are really friendly. Well, <laughs> I don't understand why you would think differently, right? Why right. would you think a horror convention would be anything but, but uh, I've noticed a lot of the, my friends who are vendors and artists experience a lot of the same people. And they're always amazed at how friendly and down to earth we all are. Um, so I think there's a lot of misconception with horror conventions. They're not supposed to be scary. They're fun. They're fun to come to. Right. And it was, this is, this was the first year I went to Horror Hound. So I didn't know what to expect. And have you been to other horror conventions? No, it's my first. Oh, cool. Usually I go to what's called the Motor City Comic Con, mm -hmm. which is like a wide pop yep. culture one. Have you been to the Motor City? I, I did that show years ago. Um, I haven't been back to it. Just schedule and yeah. you know, priorities. My preference is to do horror conventions. It's where my art vision kind of like aligns with. Mm -hmm. But I, I tend to do other fantastical type of things, you know, other TV programs I like or movies that I like. It does not it's not always horror or right. movies and horror imagery. It can be a little bit more varied. Because as wide as a as a genre that horror is, sometimes you just want to do something that's completely unrelated. Sure. I've done my Batman and Robin pieces and uh, <laughs> Star Wars related. It was always fun to do. It lends itself to a lot of different um images i think it's great that you bring up star wars because we were talking earlier about how you enjoyed uh drawing monsters when you were little and then star wars has a wide array of monsters and oh, creatures yeah. oh yeah the first introduction of all their monsters and creatures was a, the, the cantina scene with yeah Luke when he comes in the bar with ben kenobi there and all those weirdos and it's funny to hear the stories and see the behind the scenes after the fact. And they were all pretty much slip on masks and <laughs> very simple, crude things. 
but those were the, the, I guess those were my introduction to Star Wars monsters. And after that kind of, you know, Empire Strikes Back and the next level of monsters and aliens and that thing. So, yeah, they, they, uh, once they got a budget, they definitely uh, <laughs> got more, uh, I'm, I'm about to say extreme, but that's not the word I'm looking for. They got more like in their concepts and creature designs, they got more inventive yeah. and more realistic. They weren't uh, like kooky, kooky looking, you know, like in the canteen right. scene. There were some really silly ones. And that was only for budgetary and time reasons of why those looked the way they did. And so once you get more money and time involved, you can hopefully produce something a little bit more uh, acceptable for the film, I guess. <laughs> well, because I'm thinking like in A New Hope, in that cantina scene, there's like a wolf man mm -hmm. <laughs> and a giant praying mantis. Right. And then uh, in Return of the Jedi, you get the Rancor, which is one of my favorite Star Wars monsters. And Yoda in Empire Strikes Back is a great creature design. Mm -hmm. um, Jabba the Hutt is awesome. Big old slug. <laughs> <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I love him. I love Jabba. But <laughs> but I, I just think that's oh, yeah, a great. Yeah, yeah. Star Wars definitely has had a lot of impact in my formative creative years it you know it inspired a whole generation of young artists and i'm guilty of being one of them you know they, <laughs> there was so much there just a pool uh, it was it was a very large pool to fish from in a sense creatures yeah. is just robot designs starship designs you know just it was uh good it was good for the uh budding artists yeah, and you can see its influence on so many, not just films, but video games and mm -hmm. comic books today. Right. But yeah, I, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I will pivot from Star Wars because I will go down that rabbit hole and we will right. not be talking about <laughs> Pinhead if, right. if we go down the Star Wars hole. But, you know, we were talking about Jabba the Hutt. He's super slimy and Hellraiser is kind of a slimy movie. There's a lot of flesh that that's my that's my wikipedia jump from okay. star wars to uh <laughs> hellraiser i think that might have been a little bit more of a stretch than so a jump, though. Uh, so how about this <laughs> i i will i'll give you a better transition okay I, so you know during my youth and drawings and whatnot you know i was always uh seen as the class artist i was always drawing things mm -hmm. and in later years i became enamored with horror magazines fangoria gore zone uh slaughterhouse and always bring them to the art class and i'd be drawing them um i i was a very special student i exhausted the curriculum because i was mm -hmm. there like for uh, five or six classes of the day you know during like study halls lunch after school before school um just always in there you know taking advantage of all the materials and supplies so my i would always get um playfully picked on for you know my horror fascination mm -hmm. and uh you know it, it was just always there and i was strong zombies and toxic slime and you know <laughs> i saw toxic adventure uh, alien all of those movies that came out in the 80s obviously the slashers with freddie michael and jason those were always staples in my upbringing and it wasn't until like you know 98 
I was a junior uh, in high school, and I picked up the video cassette of Hellraiser from the the rental store, and um, that kind of blew my mind. It was unlike any other program that I've seen before. It was so eye-opening, and I don't want to say titillating, but it did bring some, like, you know, I was a young teenage man, and so there were some moments in that movie I'm like, whoa, this is... uh, this is kind of hot. Yeah. <laughs> but also gruesome and uh, sinister and all the things I, as a young guy, young man, I really gravitated towards. I appreciated it. So well, there's your transition. I, th- I hope. <laughs> no, that's great. That, that was much better than what I did. I'm like, Java's slimy. No. So, <laughs> but I, I love that because. I think that's part of what makes Hellraiser so unique and what makes Hellraiser so iconic in the not just horror, but in just cinema is its relationship. It's how it analyzes the relationship, the relationship between pleasure and pain. Right, right. That is a, you know, fundamental S&M type of uh, sadomasochistic scenario. It's an idealized and very fictional representation of S&M very very hyper centralized yeah and like correct me if i'm wrong but i don't think that was really part of the mainstream in the 80s like hellraiser was kind of so hellraiser yeah yeah, it was completely out of the box or not out of the box it was outside of the box in the fact that you know 80s were dominated by the, the michael freddie jason of its time even chucky was in there too and they got to be very comical it was yeah. like, oh, how's Jason going to be resurrected in this next movie? You know, it was just like, it, there was no, it was, those characters weren't just, they weren't, I don't know, they seemed like they were just throwaways. And each new movie, you just kind of like, you know, you're there to be entertained and whatnot. But, but still, each new movie kind of chipped away at the authenticity of the character. And when P- Pinhead came on the scene, I'm sorry, the lead Cenobite, <laughs> as he was labeled in the in the movie the first movie you know all of a sudden comes this this very stoic figure and granted he wasn't he wasn't meant to be the lead villain in that movie right frank, brother brother frank is the villain of that film him and, and julia are the villains of that film and pinhead just happens to be this like usher kind of like a prison guard looking for his escaped inmate and that's about it he's not really out to like cause any mass chaos or you know so he he's this like stoic figure he's very eloquent and he's got a great design to him yes he's it's all thanks to clive barker and his novel the hellbound heart i don't know if you've ever read the book i haven't read any of clive barker's work i've only seen films that he did or that were based off of his work well, I recommend that you get on that. Right now. <laughs> I will. <laughs> uh, I will. <laughs> so at the time I was in, you know, like before I saw the movie, I was constantly doing book reports for English classes. And I liked books and that had more, you know, fantasy. And there wasn't, and to my knowledge, many horror books other than like Stephen King. I didn't, I was a little naive and green when it came to horror authors i didn't know what was out there so i joined uh, the science fiction book club i bought books by isaac asimov and you know some of the dragon writers of pern uh, mm-hmm. i forgot the author of those series 
but I, you know, I liked the fantasy stuff. I wasn't always reading the sword and sandal type things and dragons, but right. it was, uh, Isimov or Asimov was a huge, like, you know, you know, science fiction writer. He was like, you know, the three rules of, what is it? The robots. The... I think it's the three laws of robotics. Yeah. 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 Those, I always found those interesting with the iRobot. Yeah. I think I read that book and there's a couple of sequels book wise, but um, I read the first one and then I read the foundation, first two foundation books. And those are like very dense. Mm -hmm. um, they've later been uh, adapted. I think uh, Apple is now doing like a foundation series. Anyways, point <laughs> is, is that there were some other books in the science fiction book club that I was like interested in books like the damnation game by Clive Barker and Cabal. Cabal later became adapted as uh, Nightbreed. There was no Books of Blood, uh, unfortunately. I didn't know about the Books of Blood, which were his first short collection of short stories. They came out at the time only in the UK. They didn't have a US release. So I, I just knew about like the Damnation Game was one and yeah. uh, Cabal. And then there was a couple other anthology books that were supposed to be Books of Bloods five and six, like in human condition and something else. So I got those books and I was reading them and I was really fascinated by, and I, you know, Clyde Barker, the name all of a sudden became, you know, of importance to me yeah. along with like Stephen King, Stephen King's, you know, the masterful writer and his, his books have been turned into movies and TV series. And so all of a sudden now you got a new player in the stage, Clyde Barker. Right. Yeah. You know, and it, it's funny, like, Stephen King, John Carpenter, and Clive Barker, they all assign their names to their movies, like, you know, Clive Barker's Hellraiser. You know, yeah, and it becomes <laughs> like a brand. <laughs> right, right. It's kind of, so you have name association, and so you recognize the brand. So this science fiction book club had the audio cassette of the Hellbound Heart narrated, read by Clive himself. Oh, that's cool. It was fantastic. I still own it to this day. I don't have a cassette player, but you can listen to a version of it on the uh, on iTunes. There's oh there's a, okay. There's a, there's a couple versions out there that are read by other people, but look for the one narrated read by Club Berker. That I'll do for sure because that it's, sounds like it'll be really awesome to listen to. Yeah, he he's he's an amazing, creative, imaginative person. I kind of like fell in love with his mind at the time i thought it was mm -hmm. really inventive the ideas that he was throwing he had no like worry it seemed like to, what to tackle with the right it just seemed like it was all there all in, in your face type of thing one of my favorite things about the hellraiser franchise or at least the ones i've seen is i just love the mythology and like the lore that clive barker creates for this fantastical universe like I really, really love the second Hellraiser movie. Yeah. And, and the Leviathan is so cool. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of that was extrapolated from the Clive's notes. He never really wrote anything with the second film. That was um, directed by Tony Randall and written by Peter Atkins with notes from Clive. So they kind of just took the ideas, characters, and kind of extrapolated them. So, so that was more of a collaboration. Yeah. I mean, Clive okay. didn't never really had a lot of those concepts in place they kind of like what do we do with these characters you know in the first yeah. hellraiser they didn't go into they didn't talk about leviathan 
you know they didn't right. they had the box and they opened up the door to to hell but what does that mean where does that go they never went there they you know how does that happen who are these people so those are all questions that in the second film they said let's explore that and do something with it now other movies since I don't know if we want to get into this part already, but, <laughs> but, you know, they just kind of, I don't know, they, they, they kind of didn't really follow through with exploring the mythology. They just liked the, the gatekeeper in a sense. They wanted to play around with Pinhead and tell his story every time. Well, it's um, kind of like the Michael Myers effect, right? Correct. Where it's like, oh, we we no longer care about making it an anthology. We just want Michael Myers and right. And I can understand. Yeah. Pin, Pinhead is a is a great figure, and you want to make movies playing around the net sandbox. But you know, he's not always he's not the leader of or ruler of hell, right? Right. He's, he's just a little shepherd going after the lost flock. There is there is so many other characters. You know, it would have been cool to see the hierarchy of everybody behind the in hell dealing with the situations. Like, I don't know, do they sit at the water cooler discussing like, you know, like, uh, <laughs> you know, their quota or some other weird shit or, you know, it's just I know that gets really campy and, and then it, it can really demystify things. And oftentimes when you over explain something, it kind of takes the wind out of takes the wind out of its sails in a sense. It's motivation yeah. and kind of less interesting. But I'm sure there's something there story-wise. That's why I like there was what was it the not the reboot, but the last one, Revelations, I think. They did some interesting mythology aspects, which I really liked. You know, it was no longer Doug Bradley portraying Pinhead, but it did have an interesting take on some of the other mythological elements to it mythological yeah mythological um <laughs> I, no i definitely agree with you because i would like to explore more and i like when the films do explore just kind of that world right but i think the people with the money realize they have they have a new icon. icon they can exploit yes yeah and not that i hate it because i do love pinhead <laughs> but i think I think that's where so, Pinhead. So Pinhead, to me, my opinion yeah. is that mm -hmm. he was the best in the first and second film. And then the train went off the tracks. His character um, just kind of got silly. I, I, so in the third film, Pinhead is on Earth. He's no longer bound by Hell's rules. Mm -hmm. And he's divided. He's separated from his human side to his demon side. And so his demon side is running around on Earth doing whatever. But I don't know. He seemed campy in his like delivery, the presentation. It could have been all from the, the way the movie was just produced, put together, you know? Like, I don't know. And I... I love the first two films, quality-wise, everything about it, cinematography, the effects. And when I saw yeah. the third one, I was like, are you kidding me? I haven't seen the third one, but I've seen parts of it. So, I like, we were talking earlier, um, before I started recording, I know the CD Cenobite. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, the Cenobite designs in that third one are not derived from hell. They're derived with, hey, Pinhead is here in L.A. at a bar. Yeah how do I make my own little legion? So he basically makes his own Cenobites with the, the materials and tools at hand. So that's where you get the cocktail Barbie, uh, which is basically right. this, this the bartender with barbed wire over his face, throwing Molotov cocktails, you got <laughs> CD, you got piston, 
you know, and even there's a reprise of um, the female Cenobite, Deep Throat, originally mm-hmm. named Deep Throat, which was um, Paula Marshall's. Mm-hmm. She was always smoking. So now all of a sudden this this female Cenobite in the third film is smoking and and like attacking you with her little lit cigarette. It's like, uh, okay, you got me. <laughs> you know? <Ouch. laughs> so, yeah, so the, the characters I thought were just like the his little um, attache of pain inducers were just goofy they just it just i don't know it took the whole concept from the first and second film you know the second film was very cerebral and deep mm-hmm. a little bit darker it talked about you know a little philosophy and psychology and all of a sudden now you got this like club life attitude towards everything and just i don't know it just it seemed like a big joke to me well i from what i've seen it feels like they were trying to force pinhead into a freddy krueger yeah. sort of role yeah he had some quippy lines that were not eloquent like his you know from the other films because he has great lines in the original yeah right. he is so quotable i did like three of them in the intro mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah his 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 dialogue yeah. through the series goes downhill and that's all you know writers the writers did not do him justice um, and it's they, like you can't write Freddy Krueger lines for Pinhead. Freddy <laughs> lines only work for Freddy. <laughs> right, right. So you know there are people who do like the third film the best for some reason, and maybe it's because that was the first film they ever saw, and that mm-hmm. was the most wide reach in theaters. It was the I think the first U.S. Um, release. Um, it was produced with U.S. Uh, studio Miramax came involved, I believe, and distributed it. And so they had a lot more distribution. So a lot more people saw it early on. And that might be their first. Uh, right, right. Yeah. So they're like, wow, this pinhead, he's a crazy motherfucker. <laughs> then when they see like the, the originals, they're like, wow, this is slow. This is this is a little too dark and claustrophobic. What's going on? Right. Why is he? Why doesn't pinhead do something? You Where know, is I, pinhead? Right. Like, pinhead don't show up until like halfway through. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So I've been subjecting myself a rewatch of, you know, all 10, 10, oh, geez, 10, 10 films. <laughs> and, you know, I, I got to, let's see, I started uh, six Hellseeker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did, I haven't finished it. I was meant to watch it today, just had other priorities. But, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, each of them are okay on their own. You know, I mean, I, you know, like some of the films were made with, oh, here's an interesting story. Can we plug Pinhead into it? Right. That was, the, that was for Inferno and Hellseeker. You know, they just needed to make a movie. So I they know. can um, maintain the rights. Correct. A lot of the, a lot of the like <laughs> revelations and judgment, those were all made because they didn't want to release the rights back. And they were just like, oh, we, we, we got to come out with a movie real quick and dirty. So... <laughs> The new film that just came out, the reboot, reimagining, mm-hmm. whatever continuization. Some people believe that it's a continuization. Might be interesting if if it is. I don't know if you've seen it yet. I have seen it. I it's, I did. I've seen it twice actually. I really liked it. Yeah, it was surprisingly good. I had a lot of anticipation and a little anxiety going into it. I was like, well, yeah. you know, I have a I do have a you know a history. What is it? Almost like twenty five years of you know, growing up with this character in this world. And and mm-hmm. then I'm like, okay, what are they going to do with this reboot? And I'm okay with reboot movies 
I mean, I'll either watch them. I will not form a, an opinion until I experience it. That's right. my, just my motto. So when I saw this film, I, uh, I was like, I was impressed. You know, I'm impressed by a lot of things. You know, I liked how they expanded upon the box. Thought those, mm-hmm. that was brilliant. There was, you know, you know, some people complained about the story or it not being sexy enough or you know sexualized enough i don't mean in a in a uh, i mean more in a in a snm way you know like right you know, pleasure and pain i don't they had some of it but not enough i think the effects were really good i liked aspects of the story i enjoyed the female cenobite portrayal i liked the fact that she didn't engage like she didn't have to physically engage she just kind of like observes and and that kind of pulls her back away from like how Pinhead initially came onto the scene. He was very stoic and he was just like, mm-hmm. I don't need to get my hands dirty. I'm just here to observe and see, oversee things. And I let my chains do the work or my right. little henchmen. And that's kind of what I saw with her, her portrayal. And we're talking the about the new Pinhead, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Oh, yeah, I just so- want to make sure because I was like, I think there are multiple female Cenobites in the new one yeah, and I just want to make yeah. sure I was on the right one I yeah. I actually really like Jamie Clayton's pinhead yeah she did a really good job on it I, I didn't was... think I was going to because I I love Doug Bradley's so much mm-hmm. and it's like well for me Doug... until I saw it I was like Ugh. it was me in like the new Freddy Krueger which I don't like that Nightmare on Elm Street remake but I thought Jackie Earl Haley was the best thing about it. Right, right. Because I thought that was going to be the part of the movie that I hated. And then, you know, and then I'm like, oh, I don't like this movie. But that was the one part that I actually really liked was the new, the new Freddy. <laughs> right. No, she did a great job in this film. Uh, I thought it was fine. The, the modulation with her voice, I thought was okay. You know, you know, I, I think people are looking to hear Doug every time there's a pinhead. Yeah. You know what I mean? They want his, his very British Shakespearean voice to come through but uh, instead you get a female's voice that's a little raspy and that's okay I I thought it was cool I thought it made her kind of eerie too Mm -hmm. like it 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 felt like it felt like to me almost otherworldly absolutely yeah and I'm gonna ask what you besides Pinhead obviously who is your favorite Cenobite and did they reappear in the new one well that's tough also, I should probably say for everyone listening, we haven't spoiled anything from the new Hellraiser yet. Spoilers <laughs> for the new Hellraiser. I I almost uh <laughs> they have such sites to show you. So I my viewers at or listeners at home can't see this, but I have <sighs> I have these uh they're 18 inch vinyl model kits of that is so cool i have all four of them and i they come unassembled and you have to paint them and i got this back in 95 i think when they 94 when or maybe even sooner than that like 92 probably oh wow and um so those were like the first like physical merchandise of pinhead and all that so i was i was like had to get them and you know at the time i think they were like 60 bucks and Put it together and learn how to mm-hmm. i was building model kits at the time but i have those all four of them um the female cenobite is a little more frailer than everybody else just because she's a, a thin design yeah um, and i i like i enjoy them all i i you know they are the four 
are a team and I don't know if I can separate the team. <laughs> I, silly I completely understand. As silly as it I get sounds, it. In the first and second film, the female Cenobite is kind of like always trying to finish Pinhead's sentences. Is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is kind of neat with a little like additive, like uh, he'll start something and she'll come in with a little bit of quip. Um, and then the other two just don't talk. And uh, in the Hellbound Heart, if you ever read it uh, or listen to it, the, the female Cenobite was kind of like the, was supposed to be like the leader of the, or the one doing the most talking mm-hmm. and so when clive made the movie he made that shift to his buddy doug um and i don't know if you know this but doug bradley was in a per- play production company with clive in their like younger years um, i knew they i knew they collaborated together i knew they yeah. were friends beforehand yeah they grew up very close in liverpool um england um oh, like the beatles <laughs> right right around that area <laughs> um and doug formed a, the dog company as his his company that produces plays and mm-hmm. you know there's a couple good really good plays um frankenstein in love the history of the devil those are really good good plays they're they've been adapted into books you can read those at any time so doug was always a part of that group and a few of the other there's a few other actors that show up in his films that are also childhood friends i think i i I may be wrong but i want to say like i'm looking at my list here i think nicholas vance nicholas vince was part of the group and either oliver parker i think because those were they were both in the nightbreed film with doug bradley doug bradley was also (laughs) a nightbreed if you knew that but I didn't realize it. I haven't seen Nightbreed in a few years. I don't remember it as yeah, well. Yeah, he plays uh, Lylesburg. He's the, the okay. old sage with all the eyes on his cheeks. I definitely didn't recognize him. Yeah. <laughs> Same with like uh, the guy who's under the makeup for Butterball. He plays the, the he's a Nightbreed as the young guy with the with the little dog and uh, oh. the bird. Yeah, that's him also. That's awesome. I, I didn't know. Uh, Simon Bamford. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm trying to think. There's, a, there's another actor that's. Oh, he plays one of the moving guys in the Hellraiser film. The first one. Is he's he the struck... one that's like flirting with Julia? Yeah. yeah okay. I think, I think he is also a nightbreed as uh, Peliquin. Peliquin. Oh, okay. Like the moon face guy. Yeah. Gotcha. And then uh, I think Oliver Parker is. There's the guy with the. Maybe I'm thinking different. That's Peliquin. Yeah, it's been a while since I've visited the names and the who each of the characters and the actors are. So I'm, don't uh, roast me, internet. <laughs> well, internet, you can roast me because I haven't even seen all the Hellraiser movies. So <laughs> <laughs> I should have watched a few more of them before this, but instead I decided to watch rewatch the original and then the new one twice. Good. So <laughs> yeah, I re- I really did enjoy <laughs> that new one. But yeah, I think it's interesting that that you can't really pick between the four as like a favorite and i well i'm i i mean i guess that's a cop out let me just say uh pinhead would have to be the favorite Um, just just because you know he's the leader of the gang um he's the one with the best dialogue he looks great you know the the you know the quartering of his skull and the way that all the lines intersects is very geometrical and I can relate as an artist. I'm like, every time I do a drawing of Pinhead, I'm like, I got to get those lines right. Why does that line, where do those <laughs> lines intersect correctly? And so they're always interesting. 
fun little challenges. Speaking of which, I mm-hmm. painted Pinhead on a denim jacket in high school. This is my oh. senior year. It was a blue denim jacket. I was doing a series of painted jackets. I did uh, Eddie, uh, the Iron Maidens, Alive After Death. I did four of those paintings for these girls in high school. And after that, I wanted to do a jacket for myself. Pinhead was, that was the character I wanted to put on my jacket. So when that I went to art, when I went so to art cool. school, you know, I wore my jacket and people were, dude, that jacket is awesome. You know, they, I they think it, I get compliments all the time. Like Pinhead was totally in, in 1990, 91. He was the man, like, yeah, you know, there was, you know, he, he, his image didn't sour just yet. He was like, it was awesome. There were comic books coming out there, you know, comic books put out by uh, Eclipse, which is a subdivision of Marvel. It was their mm-hmm. independent line years ago. I collected everything that came out that had Barker's name on it. Magazine interviews. I was a little obsessed. I, you know, again, <laughs> I, I just appreciated it. And I, I drew a lot of Cenobites. I, you know, never did a painting of, to this day, I've never done a Hellraiser-ish type of painting. Well, but one day I'll rectify that. That would be so cool. And I would yeah. love to see it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Pinhead and the gang have always been in my world in one form or another, whether it be in book form, comic books, movies, collectible figures, even as to say I've, you know, met Doug Bradley and Clive Barker in different events. Mm -hmm. Doug Bradley, I've, you know, he does a lot of conventions and I'm from Pittsburgh and guess where he lives? Pittsburgh. I was about to say, is it Pittsburgh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so him and Tom Savini pal around and do a lot of local events and like spooky stuff. Not all the time, but you know, if oftentimes if there's a spooky event, Doug and and Tom are usually together, like hanging out and doing things or signing or stuff like that. It's always fascinating. Like I was at, uh, I saw a ghost a couple years ago, and I don't know, like right next to me, like was Doug. I'm like, what? <laughs> this is surreal. Uh, I've, I've crossed paths with Doug on, on many occasions, aside from like comic book, you know, like not the yeah. comic book shows, but the horror conventions. But uh, one year I did a, um, a uh, Dr. Sketchy's art class type of thing. Uh-huh. So what that is, is uh, they put on an event. Usually it's some place to hire some models. They put them in costumes and, and artists will come in, pay a fee to like draw, do some, you know, model drawing type of thing for a little bit. And there's other entertainment that's in part of the, you know, program, food and drinks and beer. And sometimes it's a good fun time. Then one, one of the events, Doug shows up. He's, he's the speaker. Oh, he's, cool. He's there to like do something. And I'm like, what? what? <laughs> I don't know why. I think he was, you know, had recently moved to the town and he was, you know, just trying to, I don't know, involve himself more in different things and community and arts and whatnot. He's very supportive of the arts and, and uh, you know, spooky stuff in general. So I'm sitting there drawing and would you believe that Doug sits right next to me, right on my right side, and I'm trying to draw and he's like taking a peek at what I'm drawing every now and again. I'm like, I don't need this type of pressure, man. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty cool and surreal. And, you know, uh, he was just waiting his time until it was his moment to entertain. Then once once it was up, he gets up to the to the, to the front and does his shtick. And and what he did was read some 
directions from like I don't know if it was a Betty Crocker type of, you know, like a, a cooking box and he would read the directions in okay. his, his very British Shakespearean voice as you would yeah. pour two cups of hot water. You know, he was just, <laughs> he did a couple of those and it was, it was comedic and, and funny, just a surreal moment. So yeah, it was cool to meet him in person a couple of times. I, you know, like, I don't know him personally or anything like that, but I've seen it enough where I can just not fanboy over him anymore. You know what I mean? I <laughs> get, get all Twitter painted. I'm like, oh, that's that's uh, that's Doug over there. That's so cool, especially because oh, that that is so cool. Yeah, I, just, I yeah. you know doing conventions. A lot of my friends, they're like, oh, so and so is gonna be there. Are you gonna like see them? I'm like, most likely not. You know, they celebrities do their own thing. They're busy with signings and photo ops i'm a vendor i'm there to make money and sell my artwork so i'm right nowhere hanging out with celebrities all weekend i am behind the table selling my stuff the only time i ever really meet any of the celebrities if they walk around the floor and they come and you know like check out your stuff and they'll talk to you and you're like whoa hey uh, this is odd you know Chekhov from star trek is talking to me <laughs> you know we're t- exchanging painting ID- techniques and whatnot and this is bizarre you know, or having after party experiences, uh, whether it be the VIP or just in mm-hmm. casual interactions after their show during setup or breakdown. Sometimes celebrities like to like just hang out and do a non work type stuff, you know. Yeah. So they just like to enjoy the show and experience it. And that's that's how I experience any of the guests there. I, I don't actively pursue them. However, well, I mean, you will be you're working, you know. <laughs> right. However, I I I have deliberately had to meet a few people that you know I'm not going to ever meet casually. Yeah. Clive was one of those. I met him for a photo op. I had to get a photo op. I brought I brought the box with me to like have a photo with me and him. And you know, this was probably within the last five years. Yeah, it was like 2018, 17, maybe. I have a photo of it in my Facebook. It was a nice experience. I had to like kind of like stoop down on my knees to kind of like photo, do a photo with him. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I expressed my gratitude and thanked him for his his imagination and sharing it. It inspired me, and you know, it was nice to tell him that. Yeah. Whether you know, I mean, you know, millions of people tell him that all the time, and but I had my my moment, my experience, so. Yay. <laughs> That's awesome. For everyone listening, when Byron was just t- telling the story, he pulled out the lament configuration or the puzzle box. And I, I just geeked out because uh, <laughs> I've, I have a little collection of prop replicas going. And by little collection, I mean, I have three. Well, no, no, no. I have four. I have four now. I have a, like a Freddy Krueger glove and I have like the, staff of raw medallion from raiders nice but i really want to get the puzzle box yeah there's there's a uh, various qualities of boxes this is um uh, this box that i'm holding is the uh scream it was a company called scream screaming uh they put out a box years ago in the early 90s they're the same company that produced those 18 inch figures vinyl figures okay there's a fifth one of um dr Chenard floating around here Ooh. not here but he's been uh yeah. he's very elusive there was they didn't produce many of those and, and so they're hard to find very expensive i've seen other 
iterations, uh, like um, not the same, you know, of the same brand. Mm -hmm. You know, there's been other, like NECA's put out their seven inch figures and I don't have any of those. I just didn't like the quality and paint jobs. And but uh, gotcha. I'm, I'm an artist. I'm a little snobby on the things I collect. <laughs> <laughs> it ain't nothing. I mean, if you're going to spend your money on it, you might as well be a little like you got to have to want it. Right. Now, if behind me, if you can see, I mean, you can see, but the viewers at home can't, mm -hmm. uh, is a poster uh, by John Bolton. And that's the cover to that first Hellraiser graphic novel. And so during the early 90s, there was a, like 20 volumes of these Hellraiser books. And they were short stories that dealt in the world of, of the world of Hellraiser. Mm -hmm. Not Pinhead wasn't always in them. There was different Cenobites. There was different stories, different point of view. But uh, this John Bolton painting was the cover to the very first one. And they released it as a poster. It's one of my favorites. That is so cool. Yeah. So, you know, I like that artist. I've following him for with other projects over, through the course of his career. Alex Ross, uh, he's the, an artist who's done a lot of Marvel, you know, big, bad, or big beautiful pieces mm -hmm. with Marvel and DC. He, one of his early projects was in that Hellraiser graphic novel or in one of those volumes. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's insane to see a lot of the talent those uh, those many years ago and then i'm like holy crap look how far their career has has come well i i don't know much about the comic book world like that but i know that hellraiser been a start for a lot of people's careers because ashley lawrence who plays uh kirsty if uh correct me if i'm wrong but that hellraiser was her first movie yeah 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 introduced in uh ashley lawrence yeah um and uh scott derrickson Right. He did a Hellraiser movie at the beginning of his career. Yeah. And now he's doing uh, a lot of good movies. Doctor Strange, that first Doctor Strange. And then um, the Black Phone and Sinister. Sinister. Yeah. 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 He's got a nice career now. Um, but the one he did, what was the one he did? Uh, I couldn't tell you that. I, I, I can. <laughs> uh, I think it was Inferno that he did. Was Do you like Inferno? Is that one worth checking out? I would say check them all out and base, you know, form your own opinion. I think Inferno was fair okay. enough. Uh, Craig Sheffer was the lead in that. Okay. Craig Sheffer was played Boone in the Nightbreed movies. Oh, Nightbreed movie. So, gotcha. you know, he comes back into the folds um, to the Clyde Barker fold. <laughs> um, it was, it's okay. Like I said, it, I said earlier, it's one of those scripts that wasn't intended to be a Hellraiser film. Gotcha. And then they're like, well, we got this like, interesting detective story let's find a way to centibite it a little bit <laughs> it's not it's not horrible but it's you can see that it's not a hellraiser film it's just a it's like a um, almost like um outer limits episode or i don't want to say twilight zone because twilight zone usually has some sort of moral you know like resolution at the end this yeah. one is and it's just kind of like it tells a story then you're like oh Oh, that's interesting. Okay. <laughs> and then it's the same with like Hellseeker. Similar, similar concept. It's just like we bring in, we, we'll plug in Pinhead here and see how it works. But they do more with that, I think, with Hellseeker. Gotcha. And Hellseeker has Ashley Lawrence in it. She comes back. Oh, I knew she came back for one of them. So that one's Hellseeker. Okay. Yeah, she plays her character. Because I know like tiny facts about some of them. Like I know Henry Cavill was in the 
one where Pinhead is in a video game? Yeah, I think that's Hell World. Yeah. Like, so I know, <laughs> I know, I know some of it, but I, I have to actually find the time here. I'll tell you what my problem is, though. Every time I feel like watching a Hellraiser movie, I just put on the original. Right. Well, you just have to eventually, <laughs> you just make it a, a, you know, a goal to get through them all. You know, some are better than others. And then you might be rolling your eyes or groaning through some of them. I bought a cheap DVD that had uh, five of the films on it. So it had uh, part three, four, five, six, and seven and eight. So oh, wow. was, there was five films on that one. So that's why I'm rewatching those. I have gotcha. the first. I have the first two on VHS, and I have DVDs. So I always watch. I've always watched the first two enough times. I haven't watched any of the others. You know, probably like twice at most. So rewatching them for this, uh, reeducate myself on all of this was like. I was like, okay, well, I gotta, I gotta make sure I watch the movies again, just, just in case there might be a nugget information there. <laughs> Well, we talked about them a little bit, so <laughs> the preparation did not go in vain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I met Ashley Lawrence also at a convention. She was oh, that's uh, awesome. She was sitting. I was in the hallway. I was vending. I was vending in the hallway of the. I think it was a Days of the Dead, and her table, her signing table, was on the other side of like the ballroom doors. So we're both mm -hmm. facing towards the windows of the hallway and she's on my left and she would always like look over and smile at me and and i'm you know i'm like kind of starstruck and i'll be like well i had a crush on you when i was 17 18 <laughs> and now you're like smiling at me and you know it was it was odd she came over and looked at my work and i think that was the same weekend i met uh, barbie wilde who plays uh, the female son in the second film Oh, what a great weekend. <laughs> it was. Yeah. She, Barbie Wilde gave me a little criticism because I produce my uh, face card trading cards that have portraits that I draw of all of the different horror TV and film characters. Mm -hmm. And on the cover of the Killer Babe set is, is the female Cenobite, but it's Grace Kirby from the first film. And so she sees that she's like, oh, that's not me. And I'm like, oh, sorry, I will eventually do one of you. <laughs> so it was playful. Yeah, of course. Uh, gotcha. So, yeah. so, you know, it, you know, Barbie does do, you know, is more active. She writes books and stories about her character. She's oh, that's cool. Writer. She does a lot of conventions. Uh, Grace Kirby doesn't do conventions. She's she's very elusive. Mm, yeah, this gotcha. uh, was a couple of last month or the month before. I was at uh, Monster Mania, New Jersey, I think, or Maryland. And um, Andrew Robinson was there who played uh, Larry from the first film. <gasps> oh, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, Larry and Doug, uh, Doug Bradley was also there. So they were doing photo ops. And I was like... Uh, I was so tempted to get a photo up with those two together. I'm like, Ooh, that would be so good. But uh, I just, I don't know, for some reason, I, I even passed on getting his autograph because, you know, um, Andrew Robinson doesn't do many U.S. shows. Like he mm -hmm. doesn't do them frequently. He does them like every five, 10 years or whatever. Right. And so I kind of missed my opportunity there. He might hopefully be back again. You know, maybe I'm sure he will. Yeah. So at some point, <laughs> here's, <laughs> Here's a, I'm sorry, just another note I noticed. Um, no worries. So, uh, in the Hellbound Heart, they made some changes for the movie. One of them is 
Larry in the movie, his name is Rory in the book. It's just Rory is a very British name. And so when they yeah. made the movie, even though it was made in the UK, they they were thinking of, you know, US distribution. And so they Americanized a bunch of things. And mm-hmm. turning his name into Larry was a little bit more palatable. <laughs> in the book, Kirsty is a friend, not Larry's daughter. Oh. Yeah. That's interesting. So, so there's there you can understand why Julia feels a little like at odds with Kirsty every time that Larry's talking about Kirsty. Now think of it as, as a friend, not a daughter. And right. so now Julia might feel threatened or jealous. So there's different contexts. But for her to be a daughter, they was the ability to age her down, you know, make her a teenager in a sense, because she was probably like, I don't know, 18, 19, 20, maybe. I don't know exactly mm-hmm. how old she was, but it's better for her to be that age in that film rather than Larry's age, which was probably like early 30s, mid 30s or something like that. I'm guessing. For sure. I think Clive Barker made great choices especially considering it's his first it's his uh it's his uh directorial debut yeah which is so impressive yeah it was very impressive and i wonder if his decision making was due to budget constraints budget and time constraints because his his other films and i'm probably going to get flack for this but his his other films i don't know aren't don't have as much i don't know they just seem to be a little watered down you know, like i love nightbreed and Lord of Illusions, but they seem a little like they're missing something. And I don't know if it's cinematography or if he just gets really big scope and he he, he can't kind of like put his artistic spin, or maybe that's just something that just doesn't work for me, but works for everybody else. Right. Those are the three films that he made. I don't know if you are familiar with Lord of Illusions. I am not. So that's but, one I need to check out. Yeah, introduced a, a character called Harry Demore. Harry Demore was this kind of like your detective gumshoe, um, but he had a supernatural insight. He didn't, I wouldn't, I don't want to say he saw ghosts or anything like that, but he was a little bit more susceptible to the like odd mm-hmm. things that would always attract him okay. or be drawn towards him. It's an interesting character, and it was uh, Scott Bakula portrayed in the movie from uh, Quantum Leap, mm-hmm. if you've ever seen that sh- series, TV series. But Scott Bakula por- portrayed uh, Harry Damore. And I bring this all up because in a couple years ago, Clyde Barker released The Scarlet Gops- Gospels, which was the, his his book about Pinhead and his interaction with Harry Damore. Oh. I mean, it's not specifically that interaction, but they do cross paths and things happen and Pinhead eventually dies. Clive Barker, Clive's motivation for reading <laughs> Scarlet Gospels was to kill off this character that kind of got out of his hand. <laughs> kind of uh, retaking control. More or less. Over yeah. what he created. Yeah, I get he, it. <laughs> he wanted to like you know, officiate the, the funeral ceremony for, for his character. And it was neat to bring... I haven't read the book. It's it's still sitting on my to-read to list. I know I should probably do the audio audible, but I'm always... I like to read a book. And I just haven't yeah. had the time to sit down and read a book lately. Um, no, I get that completely. <laughs> and so Scarlet Gospels is part of those universes. You know, two of his movies come together. That is so cool. I think, yeah. oh, I definitely have to check that out. <laughs> so yeah, it's Lord of, Lord of Illusions. Right. 
and then the Scarlet Gospel. Right. There's a couple other short stories that Harry Damore is in. There was a reading list. I forgot where it, where it was, but they said, if you want to appreciate the Scarlet Gospels, here's a couple other short stories by Clive that'll help bridge the gap in a sense. And I know there was one for Harry Damore, and I think there was another one for Pinhead, like short story, not the Scarlet Gospel, or not the Hellbound Heart, but something else. And I wish I had that note here. <laughs> well, I'm going to uh, definitely be doing a deep dive because I'm so interested now where it's like, okay, you challenged me at the <laughs> at the beginning of the episode. I got to get my Clive Barker on. And I'm like, challenge except and I, I need to i want yeah. to so bad <laughs> yeah so i think the the story is called lost souls and it lost deals, souls yeah it was lost souls was um serialized when they released the lost soul figures and they were okay. put up by um todd mcfarlane and they were called lost souls but they were and they were really demented looking things five wrote like a, a section of a story and it would be in each package you get all the all the figures. You got the entire thing. They've released a, 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 a the whole book at one point. I think I I think I heard about these because this sounds so familiar. Yeah, they're very the book the collected book is very rare and very expensive. Uh, I think you can only buy it through Clive's publishing. Like Seraphin, I think was the one who was releasing it, and so it was like you buy and it's a you know two hundred three hundred dollar book, and it's limited to like. 200 copies or something like that it was really uh, elusive mm -hmm. so but you can get a pdf of that i don't know there might be some audible out there somewhere but but it deals with the cenobites and the lore of the cenobites that's cool that's what right whether whether pinhead is in that i'm not certain but i know it deals with the hell and everything beyond the, the veil of our reality oh because that's so interesting to me so yeah that's definitely something i'm going to check out we we've gone over so much so far and i don't know how many more layers of hell we can go down that that was my dante's well, inferno i, I don't want to say because i want to i don't, right. I don't <laughs> want i hope smart. i hope we didn't go through all nine nine levels <laughs> that would be very um, painful i do have to say i do think it was interesting that you had this beautiful answer when I asked you your favorite Cenobite where you where you couldn't like pick between the I mean, it ended up being Penhead. And I'm just like, oh, for me, it's easy. It's the Chatterer. I think it's so cool. <laughs> he is an interesting character and they've revised him in other films, like the concept of the Chatterer. Yeah, um, you'll see like even between the first and the second one, they change his design in the second it, film. The second it was for for like, yeah aesthetic not aesthetics but but for visibility because in the first film the actor um nicholas fence couldn't see at right. all they just so like put like him on the stage right they put him on the on the stage and they said okay do your just do your thing and he's like well i can't really move or do anything that's why he was always standing more or right less. second film they put eyes on him they had had so he has these like little beady eyes in the corner and they look odd but at least he can act <laughs> right right he can see a little bit better and do some more things then later on there's different versions of i don't i don't think it's the same character but they do almost like homages to it so I... they, they they do chatter like in the newest, <laughs> in the newest film yeah there's a chatterer character 
was about to say like that made me so happy when they brought brought that one back because i because you know they're bringing back pinhead and i'm like i wonder what the new what the new ones are gonna be and then they bring out the new chatterer and i'm just like my heart's happy that's right right so that's the one i want to (laughs) see yeah it was neat to see that and it was creative on some of their other designs i got to see some of the concept art after oh, the movie was released, yeah, on the uh, the Hellraiser Facebook group, they they've been posting a lot of different things. That's cool. They've been posting concept photos done by an artist that I know, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> not personally, but I'm like, wow, like Pete Morbacher did a lot of concept design work for the designs of the Cenobites, and I'm I'm like, holy shit. No, no. Now I understand because the designs look very reminiscent of his Angelarium. He does this whole Mm -hmm. Angelarium uh, world and just paintings and whatnot. Really awesome. Really cool. So to see that he did some design work for this film, I can you can see it. Um, Like every artist has their weird, you know, like fingerprint DNA on their work. And then once you understand or you can see the DNA, the fingerprint, then you're like, oh, yep, I can see it. And this piece, I can see it there and there. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) that is so cool. I I love that. And I'm definitely asked to check out his work so I can see, so I can't unsee when I watch (laughs) rewatch the new Hellraiser. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So uh, there's his designs, you can see a lot of his influence of his designs. I think they had three concept artists involved. Um, some tackled other d- aspects of the film, whether it be the architecture, the mechanics, or you know, just visions of hell. Whatever. Yeah, because a lot, a lot of vision went into that film. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's what I like about film in general is that you know I love seeing behind the scenes the uh, the work that goes into it you know i've always been in- inspired by seeing that stuff i like the film yeah. itself but i i do like to pull back the curtain and see the wizard you know putting because that's what yeah. i am i'm the wizard also i'm behind the scenes making doodling and drawing and then eventually i can reveal the final piece and then people are like that's pretty cool and i'm like if you only knew what i had to do <laughs> behind the scenes the work that went into it right so i appreciate seeing other creatives and their process i like seeing the concept drawings the matte paintings um the wardrobe set decorations food art mm, crazy stuff there's a lot of right a lot of it out there i would love to see some of the artwork that went into the making of the second hellraiser movie because when they're in hell I forget what they call it. I haven't seen it in like two years, but um, where the Leviathan is, you know what I'm talking about? Where it's like, all like, yeah, it's a, it's not a map or is it it's, a map painting? It's a map painting. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, the labyrinth. You know, exa- the yeah, labyrinth. The, thank yeah. you. You know exactly a, what I'm talking about. Yeah, <laughs> it's a map painting. It doesn't make any sense when you're looking at it because when they travel the different hallways running through and you're like, they only built like two or three hallways. Right. And they just keep on running back and forth and redressing it. So they didn't really explore too much. But when you see the matte painting, you just see the vast scope of it. And and then you're like, okay, why? Well, I, I want to see more of this stuff. But they don't really <laughs> do much of that. So they give you a little I, tea, like a taste of it, but not enough to like satisfy and fill you up. I know they didn't have the budget, but I'm just happy we got that matte painting because <laughs> mm-hmm. that I think that's for me, that's my favorite image from that image, the whole franchise. That 
that image reminds me of the scene in Time Bandits where they're at the end of the film where they're about to get the, uh, I, if you're familiar with the movie, I, I, I hate to go down this, but it's, a, it's a <laughs> basically the same view of this labyrinth and they're all traveling to get to the center to where the prize is. And so, you know, there's there, all the figures are like wandering around the different avenues on top of this labyrinth that has like walls that descend into the abyss. Same, same look as this in Hellraiser. Also a British production, so I can see a lot of similarities. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> probably the same map painter. I might have to look up that one. This one's going to be a tough one to find, but I can probably find it. When you do, you got to let me know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll forward you uh, both photos so you can see the comparison. Oh, that'd be so cool. But yeah, I, uh, yeah, please do that. And then I actually have to watch Time Bandits because I've never seen it. So that's what I have to do is read a bunch of Clive Barker <laughs> and then uh, catch up on more of the Hellraisers and then Listen, watch Time I understand <laughs> priorities, uh, you know, don't put it high on your list. It's uh, it's okay. I'm glad well, there's that you so much this. stuff, but <laughs> yeah, I, I'm glad that you saw the, 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 the new film. I think that's most important and you saw the original first two those are the most important the others are just you know if you want to subject yourself to a little <laughs> pain and suffering well i i i'm a huge fan of the first two i i think they're great movies and i like re-watching them so i never feel the need to go further <laughs> absolutely but the new one was very good i really i really enjoyed the new one the only thing I didn't care for, um, spoiler alert, they took out the Chatterer way too early. I was a bit mad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's okay. I think I respect was... it. I respect it. But I'm also like, uh, when I saw it, when I saw it the second time, I'm like, uh, no, it, I think it was the right choice. I think Let it was the new ones. Fair like, to show that that they're they're not invincible, that they right. are can be manipulated and that that's what i thought was really neat about how she dispatched the chatterer it was kind of yeah inventive and i was like huh didn't expect that to happen that's pretty neat, neat and neat. it also for me it made jamie clayton's pinhead like kind of oh she doesn't give a fuck i almost like... think that that, <laughs> that pinhead almost kind of like gave her the clue to do that the the, the lead the character the human character yeah. She just kind of like she well, I forgot what the words were, but she kind of like whispered like, oh, it doesn't have to be your flesh. Right. And it doesn't even have to we be. We just need flesh. <laughs> right. It doesn't need to be your friend's flesh. And she kind of like winked at her in a sense, you know, not, not, not you know, physically winked at her. But she kind of like when she said that, I'm like, oh, that's a that's a big uh spoiler to like evade <laughs> evade them right but um now i kind of now i really want to put on the new hellraiser i really <laughs> like that movie yeah i'll watch it again at, at, at a, soon that and uh the new predator made me very happy <laughs> yeah hulu's doing a good job with their new films um those were two I, really good you know put out by great creative teams yeah, I just wish they were in theaters. I just know that I would have gone crazy during that Predator movie, uh, <laughs> Prey, if I saw that in the theater. I loved it. And then I love the new Hellraiser. Yeah. Yeah, they're working but, well. Um, I think they they deserve the uh, all the praise that they're getting. Oh, for sure. I, mean, I, I just hope that there are sequels or follow-ups to that. Like Prey, they kind of hinted it uh, at the end in the credits, the, the little 
drawings hinted at it. I don't right. know if, if it'll ever be, but it was kind of neat the way they went with it. And as for Hellraiser, I, I liked the, the way they hinted at, at a continuization. You know, like this guy is now going to be, is he, now he's a Cenobite. What's, what's his uh, day going to be like? What's, what's his right. influence on hell? And what does that mean? And will any of the other char- human characters be like the, the, I forgot her, the lead act character's name in the, in the new film um i forgot all of their names too. <laughs> <laughs> so you know like will she be in the sequel hard to say you know like hopefully the creative team behind this film is involved and if they are hopefully they they make just as good of a follow-up film and i i have i have faith because like in the case of hellraiser that is david bruckner i think his name is and he did the ritual and the night house. Oh yeah, and especially the, the night house for me. And the ritual is great. Uh, I saw the night house in theater theaters when it came out. I'm like, this might be one of my. I think that's my favorite horror movie of 2021. I thought it was so fantastic. And then I found out he was doing Hellraiser. I'm like, nice. I, I have faith. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so and then uh, my faith was rewarded because I I really dig the new Hellraiser. <laughs> Yeah, that when that trailer dropped, I was like everybody else were all like, whoa, that's going to be good. It actually looks good. It has a lot of promise. Um, hopefully it delivers, you know, and, and it to me, it did. It did. I'm really happy with how everything came out. I 100 percent agree. <laughs> I think it is time to ask you the titular question of the show. If you figured out the lament configuration and summoned the Cenobites with yours truly Pinhead. Actually, yeah, let's let's say it's the original four. Okay. Pinhead, Butterball, the Chatterer, and the female Cenobite. I'm sorry, I distracted myself. I just love how she's just this female Cenobite. Mm-hmm. And then it's like Butterball has this amazing <laughs> name, the Chatterer. Right, right. Those are all the names behind the the scenes. Like usually the effects guys give nicknames just to kind of like, hey, let's pull this character over here. What's it? So they have a little shorthand name. Oh, yeah. Call him Butterball. You know, it's perfect. That, yeah. But then so, it's a female one. <laughs> so what's the question you want to ask me? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you summon the Cenobites, would you die? Interesting question. I've been milling this around for a long time thinking, and just like the answer, my suffering will be legendary and <laughs> forever. I doubt I'll die, but I will be in pain in hell. Right. And that's that's the thing, because like, I, I mean, I have to ask the question. That's the whole point of the show, right? Right. But Absolutely. Then, Would I die? Of course I'm really... going to die. But you here's the thing. That's not, how, that's not what he does. It, Here, but yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing. Like, Pinhead isn't a psychopath murderer. and Right. And he doesn't just kill blatantly. So would I ever be in a position where Pinhead would show up in the gang? Listen, I'm I'm all curious about a lot of things in life. I'm currently very comfortable with the pleasures 
that this mortal <laughs> coil offers me. So I don't, I, I honestly don't feel like I'm ever going to put myself in that arena. Uh, maybe that's a cop out, you know, <laughs> who knows? Maybe 10 years from now, I might like, be like this life bores me and I need to like dabble in a new section of the, of everything. I need more, you know, sensation um, or I need to like figure out how to, um, live forever and i realize that being a cenobite is where 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 it lays where i can be immortal that's you know again new movie they expanded upon the 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 box configurations and you right. can, you choose your outcome like which of the six would you choose right you know there's a uh, life knowledge love sensation resurrection and power you know if you you if you give all what is it uh, six sacrifices to the box you become it's almost like you now get to make a wish of right any any one of those and um I, yeah yeah i guess resurrection as we get older we're always thinking about our mortality so you're like how do i live forever no i i yeah <laughs> blowing you, your mind you said it, well you said it so well i'm like what do i say to that no you said it so well um I think I think you and I might be similar in which we we at least as of now, we probably won't seek it out. But like, let's take the new Hellraiser, for example, if we're in a position where someone else is messing right. with that and we're in the like, I know the chatterer would get me like, right. Like, like, oh, damn it. My friend screwed me here. What am I going to do? Great. Um, geez. If it was just me, I would actually survive because my dumbass wouldn't figure out the puzzle. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you should give yourself more credit than that. I, I think, um, I think, you know, if as an innocent bystander, yeah, I'd probably die. Yeah, because I would be caught off guard, and I would be like, um, so side swiped in the situation. Exactly. Because you know? I, I, I. I I'll be like, I don't know uh, what's going on. All of a sudden, dead. <laughs> right. Are 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 even worse. We're caught in this ploy, and like we get stabbed with the with the box. Now the Cenobites want to torture us, and it's like I didn't ask for this. <laughs> right. Right. I don't want to be. I don't want to be a side character in some in somebody else's story. I right. want to be. I want to be the uh, the antagonist. Or the protagonist, my bad. Yeah, uh, that's <laughs> I want to oh. be the hero. I, listen, I, I'm I'm a, a plenty of bad guys in other guys' stories, okay? Uh, especially when it comes to romances. Um, but I am definitely the protagonist in my story, as we all should be, I think. <laughs> so I think that's how we would fare against the sadomasochist from beyond the grave. The real ones know that reference. <laughs> right. But yeah, thank you so much for talking Hellraiser and Pinhead and Butterball and the Chatterer and the female one. <laughs> All yeah. the Cenobites with me. Yeah, um, where, can, where can the people find you? Well, um, I do a lot of conventions. You can physically see me at a convention, horror convention throughout the year. I do quite a bit of them on the northeast of the united states my schedule is always posted at my website byronwinton.com from there i have all my links to the social media stuff and um, i have a very 
active Patreon page where you get to peek behind the curtain and, and follow me on my journey of making art. Yes, that's awesome. I'm going to place the website on in the episode description as well. So everyone listening, you can go and click it from there. And um, yeah, definitely check out Byron's work. It's awesome. My favorite piece is you have this great art piece of Christine uh, with Bruce Campbell's <laughs> Ash from the Evil Dead and Cujo and Leatherface and Freddy. Am I forgetting someone? Uh, Michael. Michael, thank you. Um, and they're all just cruising down the highway in Christine. And it's like my favorite. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a. Uh, I can't take credit for that image. Um, I painted it, but I didn't. It's not my idea. The uh, it was brought to me by a guy at a convention. He said Christine was his favorite film. And he wanted those characters um, in the car and he didn't care how I did it, but if it was something I could do. So I took him, took him up on the uh, idea and produced it. And it's people kind of dig it. It's a little, you know, it's a mashup. It's kind of comedic. My most popular piece is the Elvira in the movie theater with 60 horror characters from TV and film. All throughout that one's the- definitely an attention grabber. Yeah, it's my most popular piece. It's the it's a who's who of the horror uh, films and TV. I did it ten years ago, so it's it's still finding new eyes all the time, which is amazing. I just finished uh, earlier this year was a killer clowns from outer space painting, which is doing receive being received very well. I uh, got to meet some of the actors from that film at conventions this year. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, a couple of the clowns sell my that print at their table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm always doing new pieces, whether it be for private commissions or, you know, licensed projects. Like I did a Hannibal Lecter from the TV series Hannibal, Mad Mickelson, for an oh. art book, an art book that just came out, published by um, Printed in Blood. Uh, so, like, you know, I could, every now and again, I, get, I can sell licensed prints of different projects I've worked on. You know, I do other projects, other piece things besides uh, horror art. I've done a lot of like horror or macabre imagery for bands. I've worked with a lot of gothic industrial bands doing album covers and same with like book covers. Yeah, man of many talents. That's awesome. I I love that. Everybody, you got to check out Byron's art. It is so good. Once again, thank you so much for... uh coming on the show and yeah it's my pleasure thank you for for asking and inviting me onto the show i appreciate it oh no problem at all this was awesome thank you for listening to today's episode thanks again to byron for talking pinhead with me once again check his art out on his website he is insanely talented and i'm not just saying that i mean it but of course check it out and see for yourself we have such sights to show you On this segment of I Know What You Watched last week, I finally caught up on Andor. And while I did watch some horror films, they were in preparation for upcoming episodes. So, no spoilies. If you want spoilies, feel free to follow me on Letterboxd at TaurusAU, T-O-R-R-E-S-A-U, and find all of my unhinged film opinions. I made a TikTok for Would You Die. Please check it out at Would You Die Podcast. W-O-U-L-D-Y-O-U-D-I-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Yeah, your boy can spell. TikTokin's been 
pretty fun so far, so join me on there. If you're enjoying the Would You Die podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. If you want to help support the podcast financially, I do have a Buy Me A Coffee page. I'll put the link in the episode description, but it is buymeacoffee.com slash show. If you choose, you can donate a dollar, say something nice, and make my day. And if not, no worries, but any little bit will help this podcast in a big way. As always, you can find the show's social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Would You Die Show. Also follow me on TikTok at Would You Die Podcast. Please feel free to comment or reach out if you have any ideas for the show or questions you'd like to ask. I'm all ears for suggestions. You can find the Would You Die YouTube show on Three Wise Men Media YouTube channel, where you can also find professional wrestling, trailer reviews, and much, much more. The music you hear at the beginning and end of each episode is composed by my friend, Josie Palmer. Next week on the Would You Die podcast, we are taking a trip up to the cabin in the woods. That might have been a dead giveaway, huh? Until then, I'm Austin Torres. Try not to die.